appreciate that humble prayer very much. Um, I drove down down here, up here, whichever way it is. It's south, so I guess that's down. <laughs> with really two things on my mind, and the problem with that, having two things is not a problem, but sometimes when the two things are not really that related to each other, it kind of uh, makes a problem for you. But uh, I feel like he showed me which way that he wants me to go. Uh, what I want is mainly in the uh, 12th chapter of the book of Romans, but just kind of in the way of introduction, uh, I was sitting there thinking while you sang so beautifully that, uh, you know, from the very moment we accept the Lord, and I'm not going to use that like the world does, uh, I don't believe you have to accept to go to heaven, I don't believe that at all, but from the very moment you accept him, there's this fellow called the devil that's going to be nipping at your heels. And uh, no matter what you do, what you think, and the, I'm going to say the closer you walk to God, uh, the more interested the devil is in you. If you don't walk close to God at all, he probably won't bother you too much. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that, but he's bothered me a lot <laughs> in my lifetime. Uh, but when you get the truth as it is in Christ Jesus before you and try to follow it, and you try to follow thus saith the Lord, you kind of throw the devil a curveball. Um, it makes him want you even more, but it causes you to be less susceptible to his, uh, his thinking and him trying to manipulate everything you do. Uh, we shouldn't be afraid of the devil, not at all. Uh, we have one much more powerful. We have one that loves us with an everlasting love. We have one that uh, was victorious over death, hell, and the grave, which is partly the devil. And when he begins to follow us around, I think uh, our most important weapon, and this is not my subject, but I think our most important weapon is to pray, like just like the humble prayer we just heard. Our most important weapon when we try to follow God and resist the devil is prayer. Um, he works up here. <laughs> he works on your mind. The scripture I have in my mind is in the second verse of the 12th chapter of uh, Romans. It says, be ye not conformed to this world. That's, that's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy to be conformed to this world. And if we don't, if we aren't real careful, especially when we're younger, I noticed it a whole lot more when I was younger than when I got older, but it's still pretty easy to be conformed because there's peer pressure on older people just like there is on younger people. Maybe not quite as severe, uh, maybe not quite as much or as many, but there's still peer pressure on, on us. Um, but sometimes if you let Satan influence how you think, that will influence how you act. So this part up here is real important, and that's really what that scripture is talking about in 12 and 2 in Romans. I'm going to go over there and read. I, I might want to read a little bit of that chapter in just a minute. But when he says, be not conformed to this world, he follows that with be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that's a difficult proposition sometimes when the devil's nipping at your heels. But if we look to the Lord in all that we do, in everything that we do, you know, he did say, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He's always right there with us. Um, I remember one place when David said, Lord, have you clean gone from me? Well, it wasn't that the Lord was gone from David, it's that David was gone from the Lord. And that's our same problem while we live here in this tabernacle of clay. Uh, God doesn't leave us. He never leaves us. But sometimes we leave him. Sometimes we, and you can do that, by the way. You can turn your back on God and you can walk away from him. You can certainly do that. And that's the very time that the devil rejoices if he can get you to do that. If he can get you to walk away from the Lord, he's going to rejoice and be so happy that he has accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. Well, if we go to the 12th chapter of Romans, I want to read just a little of this. I don't want to read too much of it because i got a couple more places I want to go because really the thrust of what I want to talk about this morning is hearts and minds and how they're hooked together and, and why we have to pay attention to both of them. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Well, familiar scripture to everybody, isn't it? I beseech you, brethren, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. That's your reasonable service. That's not anything to write home about. <laughs> that's just something that's reasonable to us because what's already been done for us. Took me a long time to realize. I came from another denomination of people. It took me a long time to realize that my salvation wasn't dependent on me. And that's why I kind of worried about starting with the word accept because, you know, the world says you got to accept, you got to believe, you got to be... All those things that the world says all the time, none of them are true. Not one of them is true. Now, on the other side of that coin, I believe it's very important that we accept. I believe it's very important that we believe. I believe it's very important that we're, we're, we're baptized in the church of our choice. I believe it's very important, and, and by the way, this should be the church of your choice. Uh, I believe it's very important that God has chosen us. We're chosen people. Did you realize that? We're chosen people. It took me a long time to realize that as well. Because God has people in every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. He's got people everywhere. My mother faithfully took me to the Episcopal Church every Sunday. As long as I was at home, she took me to the Episcopal Church, and she thought that's where we belonged. She was from England, so it was Anglican. That's what she knew. That's what she believed. So that's where we went every Sunday. You know, when you're, you know, when you're small, you don't really get to argue much with your parents where you're going to go to church. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had enough sense to argue anyway, because I just thought that's where I should be going. That's where my mom went. My dad didn't go, but that's where my mom went. So I figured that's, that's where I ought to go. And I must admit, and I don't want to say anything bad about those people. There's wonderful people in that church. But I didn't learn much. I really didn't learn much. And I certainly didn't learn the things that I needed to know about how to worship God, how to believe in God. You know, the, the, a very simple statement for all of us to believe and take hold of, I believe, is simply that God is. I think that's the best way to describe God, simply that God is. You know, we can say he was, he will be, but is kind of covers all that, doesn't it? God 
is. And that's a very maybe oversimplification of it, but when I first came among the old Baptists, I heard it preached time and time again about the simplicity and the sincerity of the gospel. And it wasn't so much the simplicity that kept me coming back over and over and over, it was the sincerity of it. Because it wasn't simple for me, because I'd been taught something else all of my life. I've been, I'd been taught to believe something else my entire life, so it wasn't that simple to me. It was hard for me to put those old beliefs out of the way, because my parents or my mother believed that, so it had to be right. Well, it didn't have to be right, did it? It didn't have to be right. So my mind needed to be transformed, which is what the next verse says, be ye not conformed to this world, because a lot of churches today do that. They conform to the world. They do think, things that they think will draw the people in. They do things to entertain. And I'm not an entertainer, so you're not going to get any entertainment out of me. Oh, I might crack a joke here and there, but you're probably not going to like the joke I crack. But, but I'm not an entertainer. And I don't intend to be. I don't want to be. That's not my desire this morning to be an entertainer. My desire is to be a servant. My desire is to try and preach the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. My desire this morning is to bring something to you that will be useful in your life. You'll hear nothing new from me. You won't. If you hear something new from me, I hope you'll come and say that was new to me because I need to look at that real hard because there's nothing new under the sun. I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard before, but perhaps I can just reiterate some things that you believe anyway and make you maybe believe them a little stronger than you had before. Be not conformed to this world, he said here, but be ye transformed. Every single child of God, <coughs> excuse me, needs to have this take place. Every one of them needs a transformation. Because... <clears throat> We're not born believing, are we? We're not. We may be brought up to believe. We may not be brought up to believe. So God's got to do the operating. Just like on the road to Damascus when he spoke to Paul. Saul he was then. But when he spoke to Saul, you know, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Why, why do you persecute the Son of God? Some people says, well, he didn't know who he was, who he was talking to, but he knew one thing. He said, Lord... He called him Lord, so he did know that one thing. Whether he was born again on the road to Damascus, that's a matter of opinion, of a lot of different opinions by people. But whether he was born again there or not, he saw something that he'd never seen before. He felt something that he never felt before, and his eyes were blinded. And that's when he began to see. That's the way it was with me. I didn't begin to see until I was blinded. I didn't begin to see until I, I, I started questioning what I had heard before, what, what I was brought up in. I started questioning it and, and wondering why, why this old fellow that stood before me on Sunday mornings, and by the way, I followed a pretty girl into the church. That's how I got here. Y'all that know me know that. But the things that I was hearing was like a foreign language to me. I'd never heard anything like it before. For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay, there's my faith. That's what I need. And if you stop right there, you could, I could argue that with you. If we stop, if the rest of that scripture was not there, we could argue about that. But the problem is the rest of that scripture is there. That not of yourselves. It's the gift. Not a gift. It's the gift of God. Not of works such any man should boast. 
took me a long, long time to, to grasp that it's not by works. It took me a long time to grasp that it's by works. It's no more by grace. If it's by grace, it's no more by works. That's Scripture. And it took me a long time to get a hold of that. And it may take other people a long time too. Be not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that had to take place in me and probably every single child of God that's ever walked the earth. If they're going to start believing the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, their mind has to be transformed because the world's not going to support it. The world is just not going to support it. But there's a reason that we need to be transformed. There's a reason this mind needs to be transformed. And I'm going to go talk about in just a minute where we came from. Be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove. we got something to prove, don't we? Our lives have something to prove. While we walk here in this tabernacle of clay, we want to prove what we believe by how we walk. Not necessarily by what we say, but how we walk, how we believe, how we interact with people. I'm not saying it's not important what you believe. Don't tell that on me. But it's important how we act. And that's why you don't want the devil to get a hold of your brain. That's why you don't want the devil a hold of you, because he'll lead you in the direction you don't need to go and probably don't want to go. But he's so cunning, he'll make you think you want to go that way. And I can say that because I have been there. I have been in that very position before where I thought something of the world looked a whole lot better than what I already had or a whole lot better than what I already had in the church. I thought, well, that looks pretty good out there. That looks pretty good. Look at all those people going into that church. I used to struggle with that a little bit. Look at all those people driving up to that church and walking in. There's person after person after person after person walking in there. They had quantity. We may not have quantity so much, but we do have quality, don't we, I think? We have quality of people. We have people that believe in the Lord and believe the way it is in Christ Jesus. But we want to prove what we believe by how we live, by how we act. We want to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you can't prove it if you're conformed to the world. You can't. Because the world doesn't care what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. They really don't. I mean, look around you. I don't have to tell any of you this. Every one of you under the sound of my voice knows everything I've said this morning. You already knew it. You already knew that the devil was after you. You already knew that the world's nipping at your heels. You already knew that. The thing is, we need to figure out, we need to learn, we need to understand what we can do about it. How we can avoid the things of the world to drag us down. Because that's all they will do is drag you down. They won't make your life any better. You might like, they might tickle this stuff a little bit. But they won't make your life any better. Not at all. They won't make your life one bit better. I want to read two or three verses and then I want to go to uh, Isaiah. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. Notice that word given there. It's not something you earn. That's not something you go down to the Walmart and buy. It's given unto you. You knew that too. 
For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, I didn't say that faith wasn't important. I've tried to speak on this before, and somebody told me, well, I left thinking that you thought faith wasn't important at all. So I must have said something wrong, because I don't believe, I believe that faith is very important to us. In fact, I don't, I don't believe you're going to be able to believe in God without faith. But where do you get that faith? It's one of those nine fruits of the Spirit found in 522 Galatians. It's number seven on the list, I believe, of those nine fruits. It's a fruit of the Spirit. You're the tree. That's the fruit. That's the fruit. One of them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. Against such there's no law. I think I missed one. I think I just got eight. But anyway, there's nine of them over there. You can go read that, 522 in Galatians, if you want to go read that. But it's a fruit of the Spirit. Faith is very important. And you're going to stay conformed to the world without faith. And without faith in the right person, in the right place, at the right time. And he just said that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every measure. There's one verse over here. No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I want to go. I'm going to go back to Isaiah, the fifth chapter of Isaiah, and I want to get into this a little bit. Um, of how we are, where we came from, how we avoid being conformed to the. That's really the crux of what I want to try and talk about this morning: is how to not be conformed to the world, because it's an easy thing to fall into. Anyway, if we go back to the book of Isaiah, I think I just want one verse back here. Maybe two. But this is a pretty good picture of what the world we live in is about today. Uh, verse, uh, verse 20. Woe unto them that are wise, no, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. Isn't that a pretty good picture of the world today? Doesn't the world today call good evil and evil good? I believe they do. If you don't believe that, you don't turn on the television very often, and you're probably smarter than any of us if you don't turn it on. <laughs> and you'll stay smarter than any of us if you don't turn it on. But I got one in my living room, and I turn it on every now and then, and I watch the news. That's about the only thing I watch is the news. And that's probably the one thing maybe I should not watch, but I watch the news. I kind of like to know what's going on, you know, who shot who and those kind of things. I like to know about the news. But when you listen to the news, you hear that very thing right there. You hear people who call evil good and good evil. With all the stuff going on in our world today. And this was written, by the way, this is about 700 years before Jesus. seven or 800 years before Jesus, this was written here. There's only one place that the things that are good come from. The things that are good come from God, don't they? Everything that's good comes from God. He tells us what's good. He tells us what's bad in this book. He tells us what's good. He tells us what's bad. And nobody, nobody can tell you except God what is good and what is bad. So don't let those people on the television cloud your mind up with, well, that sounds 
reasonable, because I've heard a lot of those arguments before. Sometimes they can make them sound pretty reasonable, even if they're not true. But they're not reasonable. They've never been reasonable. They'll never be reasonable because they're not based on this. They've got to be based on this or you're going to get conformed to the world. Can you think of any other book, any other book that you've ever read? Now, I'm not saying there's not some good books out there. But can you think of any other book that you've ever read that can answer as many questions as this one can? That can show you how to live better than this one can. That can show you how to interact with people better than this one can. I can't find one. I can't think of one. But when we think of where we came from, I wasn't going to go here, but I think I will anyway. I can probably quote this, but I want to go read it because I've quoted this wrong before. When we think of uh, where we came from and what we're made of, so to speak, We go back to the 6th chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning in verse about 5. This is kind of a dark scripture. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I'm going to quote it. I'm going to to read it the way I used to quote it. I'm going to see if you catch it. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I left something out there. And I used to quote it that way. In fact, what I left out may be the most important part of the whole scripture. And I used to leave it out. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. He looked down on the earth and that's what he saw. He saw wicked man. And I know we don't like to hear that, do we? Nobody likes to hear that man's wicked. I'm not telling you that. The Bible's telling you that. You don't get mad at somebody. Get mad at the one who inspired this book inspired this book and by the way i believe there's 66 books 1189 verses i believe in this bible yeah 66 books 1189 verses i don't know how many writers there are because several of the writers wrote more than one book i've never sat down and tallied up the number of writers but i can tally up the number of authors real fast because it's one all scripture is given by the author All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And a lot of people don't like what's in there. Why do you think men gather themselves together and gather up as old a manuscript as they can find and start retranslating this book? Because they don't like the stuff that's in there. If they don't like the stuff that's in there, they probably ought to talk to God because he's the one that has divinely preserved it through the years. He's the one that blessed people to translate it into the English language under King James. He's the one that did all that. He's the one that designedly preserved it. We have it because he preserved it. And I don't know why somebody thinks that, well, that, the only reason I can think of for, for another translation is if they don't like this one. They don't like what's in this one. They're going to change something in there to suit themselves. And that's what the world does. I'm going to read this right now. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Our imag- we, can imagine, we can imagine a lot of things, can't we? 
I had a man tell me not too long ago he won a, a, a big lottery number. It wasn't in the millions, but it was you know several thousand dollars. He said, "I never imagined winning anything like that." He said, "Well," and I told him, "Well, I don't win because you know, like God said, buy a ticket, you might win." No, I don't ever buy tickets, so I don't win. But I can imagine a lot. This old mind here that gets stuck out there in the world sometimes can imagine a lot. You know, you walk onto a car lot and see what a car costs today. I just got my tax bill not too awful long ago, and I see what they say my house is worth. I guarantee if anybody walked in my house and said, I'll give you that much for it, they'd own it. I can imagine a lot. Of course, I don't know what I'd do if they bought it and they owned it. I don't have any idea what I'd do, but... but you know, numbers can get so inflated sometimes. Our imaginations can run wild, can't they? Our imaginations can take us anywhere. Our imaginations is what leads us to be conformed to the world. That's where we go. If we're not careful, that's where we go. The next verse says it repented the Lord that He made, even made man. It repented God that He even made man. On the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. My goodness gracious. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created. And that's what he did. That's what he did. Forty days and forty nights of rain on the earth. And it flooded the earth. Read over in the New Testament that only eight souls were saved by water. Only eight of them. In that big old boat that he told Noah to build. I ran the numbers one time, uh, and there's a lot of different arguments about exactly how much a cubit, a cubit is, how many inches it is, but the, but the most accepted number I could find makes the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and I believe 37 and a half feet tall. I visited that one in Tennessee one time. That's a big boat. That's a big boat. And God told Noah to build that boat. You know, that, that was a heck of a job for a man 600 years old, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It's a heck of a job for somebody like that. It'd be a heck of a job for any young man, wouldn't it? And can you imagine the, the people that were walking by and looking at him? I don't know whether there was any body of water close to that or not. I've never looked on a map to see if there was a great big lake close to that or not. Not very close to an ocean, I don't believe. And how is he going to get it there? How was he going to get it there? If he built it thinking, well, I'm going to go for a little sail in this, but God told him what he was doing. God let him know what he was doing, and he'll let us know. But it would have been real easy to get conformed to the world when all those people were walking by saying, you're not, Noah. You're crazy. You're building a boat out here on, the, on dry land? This big of a boat? Why are you building a boat that big? That's a big boat. Everybody ought to go see it sometime. It's kind of neat to see it. I don't know how accurate the, everything is about it, but it's kind of neat to see. It's a big boat. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And that's what God did. You ever think, why didn't he just destroy everybody? Why didn't he just take everybody out? Well, the next verse tells us why. Noah found grace 
in the eyes of the Lord. First place that word grace is used in the Bible. Right there in the sixth chapter of Genesis. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We all need to find grace in the eyes of the Lord, don't we? Every one of us needs to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because we're all sinners. Oh, don't tell me that. Somebody told me that one time. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. I don't want anybody telling me I'm a sinner. We well, better not read that book then. Because he just said that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Not every now and then. Not just a thought here and a thought there. Only evil continually. God inspired that to be written because that's what he saw. That's what he saw. I think he's pleased with what you're doing right now. I believe he is. Every one of you could be someplace else. All of you could be. But you chose to come and worship God. Hopefully in spirit and in truth. The way you're saying, I think the Spirit's here. In spirit and in truth. And that keeps you from being conformed to the... Because if we decided to do something else, anything else, I don't care what, we'd be conforming ourselves to the world. Well, I need to plow. I need to paint my house. I need to fix the plumbing. I need to do this. I need to do that. I've used those excuses before. I remember when Randy... Randy was a little playing soccer. Uh, I made a horrible mistake and got roped into refereeing. <laughs> Terrible mistake. He was just five or six years old. But they taught me into refereeing. And they even put me as the head of the referee thing, the referee people. They put me as the head of it. I don't know why. I didn't know anything about refereeing, but that's what they did. Put me as the head of it. And I remember one uh, weekend, Lampasas was having a three-day meeting, and we had a soccer tournament that weekend of the three-day meeting. And I did get off uh, not refereeing that weekend. I did get away from that. We had enough people that they could take care of the games that were played, but Saturday night, it just came the most horrible I shouldn't use that word when I talk about rain, should I? <laughs> but it just rained and rained and rained on Saturday night, and there was so much water Sunday morning, they couldn't finish the tournament. Well, I got a call from the tournament director and said, what are we going to do about this? Sunday morning. Well, you know, Sunday morning was a, kind of a big morning for our meeting. I didn't really want to miss that. But I was in charge of things. I was in charge of things, so I needed to see that the field was usable. So me and seven, eight, eight other referees were out on that soccer field on Sunday morning with wet dry backs sucking the water up off the fields so they could play soccer instead of being in church. Now that's being conformed to the world. I'm not proud of that. But that is being conformed to the world. That, maybe that's just a silly example. But when I th look back and think of that, why couldn't they wait till the afternoon to play the game? Well, they did. They waited till 1 o'clock to play the game. But I had to be one of the ones out there making the field usable. 
So I was conforming to myself to the world. I should have been transformed until then. Let's cancel the last game. Let's cancel the championship game. Because I can't be there or do it without me. But I didn't do that. I forsook the Lord. I forsook church. And I went and worked on the soccer field on Sunday morning. That was a long time ago. Brandy was about five, I guess, five or six. It's a long, long time ago. But I remember it to this day, and I'm ashamed of it to this day. And I'll always be ashamed of it. I shouldn't be like that. I shouldn't have let them conform me to the And that's what I did. I let someone conform me. Oh, those kids, they'll be so disappointed. I know you all dealt with stuff like that before. I know that you have. Noah found grace, I, that, I don't know why I got off on that scripture, but Noah found uh, that thought, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But I, I thought of another scripture while I was reading this one, when I thought of being conformed to this world. You know, the, the, the times we have today are really not that much different than what we had before. Not, not much different than these times here. In fact, I can think of a scripture in, what is it, Judges 17, I believe it is. I don't remember the verse. It says, in that day... In those days, there was no king in Israel. 17 and 6, maybe, of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Why is that, why is that important? Because everybody did what was right. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. See, that's what I did. I did what was right in my eyes instead of doing what I knew was really right. So the, the times today are really not that much different than they were back then. We want to say, oh, well, we got more pressures, we got more peer pressures and all these kind of things today. Our peer pressure is the same as, as it was back then. You, you don't think Noah got a lot of peer pressure about building that boat? You don't think people walked by and told him he was crazy out of his mind? I'm sure that they did. I'm sure that they did. But this is where we came from. God looked down and saw that the imagination of the thoughts and intents of man's heart was ever evil continually. Not just now and then, continually. Well, let's go back to the book of Romans. I'm going to run out of time here. Go back to the book of Romans in the first chapter. And I want to pursue this thought about imaginations just a little bit before I quit. Verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Kind of sounds like a crazy statement, doesn't it? The invisible things are clearly seen. That's what it says. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, by being understood by the things that are made. That's us. We're the things that are made. We see the invisible things. They're clearly seen. You see your salvation. Yes, you do. You see it. You know you have it. And you can see it by an eye of faith. I'm not talking about you see this bottle of water. That's not what I'm talking about. You know that you have that salvation. You see it by an eye of faith. You probably haven't seen that all of your life. There's probably times when you kind of wondered about it. There's times when I've wondered about it a lot. The invisible things from the creation of the world 
are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhood, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. I think when I was out there on that soccer field with that wet dry vac, I was, probably wasn't glorifying him as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They became vain in their imaginations. What's that word vain mean? What does it mean? Had no substance, no value, not worth anything. They became vain in their imaginations. Our, our imaginations can be good or bad, you know what? We can have good imaginations or we can have bad imaginations. We just read a scripture that said God looked down and saw that the imagination and the thoughts of intents of man's heart was ever evil continually. Did you ever think about, think about this just a minute. I hadn't thought about this till last three or four years. Have you ever thought about the heart and the mind are, are, are linked together? You ever think about that? The mind tells the heart to beat. Without it, the heart dies. The heart pumps the blood up to the mind. Without it, the mind dies. So they both got to have each other or they both die. That's where our imaginations come from. Well, he was talking about imaginations of the heart. We think of a lot of things in our heart. I read a book one time that said, uh, The heart is the temple where all truth lies. Really? That doesn't coincide very good with that scripture we just read does it the heart is the place where all truth lies it can it can but when you were born into this world you didn't have the kind of heart you have right now you have a little different heart now than you had when you were born into this world we have scripture that tells us that God takes out the stony heart because I believe every human being is born mostly with a stony heart I can think of one time. I can think of one time when Jesus' mother walked into the room where John the Baptist's mother was. It said the babe wept, leapt for joy in his mother's womb. That heart may have already been reborn. Or that babe wouldn't have leapt for joy. But for the most part, we're not born with a feeling, understanding fleshly heart we're born with a hardened heart and our imaginations whether they start in the mind or whether they start in the heart they're generally vain it says professing themselves to be wise they became fools i want to go one more place here in a minute i'm going to just read down to it and change the glory of the uncorrupt of god into an uh, image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Uh, you know what that's talking about. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. You know, anybody that says salvation is not of the Lord is changing the truth of God into a lie. Anybody. I don't care who it is. Me, you, anybody. If we say that, we're changing the truth of God into a lie. But the part I want out of this is the world we're living in really fits this next part. Change the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature 
more than the Creator. Well, you know anybody like that? Serves the creature more than the Creator? I know lots of folks like that. Well, let's see what we can do about this imagination. I want to go to Second, uh, second Chapter, Second Corinthians, uh, Chapter Ten. I don't remember the verse. Well, I'll have to look for it. I think it's four or five. It's right below where it says the weapons of your warfare are not carnal. Verse five. Now remember, we're talking about imaginations. Verse five says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. If your thoughts are anywhere besides on obeying Christ, then they're not where they believe, not where they belong. They're not where they belong. You know, Paul said in one place, uh, I profess to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's a pretty profound statement, really. That's a great starting point for anybody who wants to find out what the old Baptists believe. That's a great starting point. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because you get into the, well, why? How come? What, what was the purpose of his crucifixion? Why did he volunteer for such a job? Where did he come from? Who did he belong to? All those questions need answering if you're going to know about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you all know the answers to every single one of those questions. But we need to cast down those imaginations. We need to get rid of them. Those things that he was talking about back there that he saw when he looked down upon man. That the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart was ever evil continually. We need to cast those things down. Because what you think up here is what you are and how you live. I used to quote a scripture like this, As the man thinketh, so is he. Have you ever heard it quoted like that before? As a man thinketh, so is he. Well, what's wrong with it? Not what it says, is it? Not what it says. One word can make a difference. One word, and I'm, I'm leaving out two. Or three, really. Because I used to quote it all the time. As a man thinketh, so is he. Whatever you think about, that's what you are. That's what you accomplish. That's what you can do. Whatever you think about. But let's add the proper words to the scripture. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Doesn't that make a little difference? I think that makes a little difference. As a man thinketh in his heart. So is he. You ever thought about your heart thinks? Have you ever thought about that? It does. It does. Your heart tells you what to feel. Your heart helps you, helps you think what you ought to think. Live how you ought to live. All those, uh, the heart and the mind are just inequivocably, I can't say that word, 
inequivocably, I'm not good with big words, linked together. You cannot separate the two. You cannot. There's no way to separate the two. Because as I said before, one can't live without the other. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's where we need to be. We need to be obeying Christ. We need to living live in our life in such a way that we obey Christ. It's not hard to find it. It's not hard to figure out. Read this book. You don't know how to be. You you don't know how to obey Christ. Read the book. That's all you got to do. Read the book. What other instructions do we have about that? Well, how about seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness? And all these things will be added to you. Do you ever think about the things that will be added to you? The things, that's, that sounds kind of carnal, doesn't it? All these things will be added to you? That sounds a little bit carnal, doesn't it? I don't think it's carnal at all. God, two scripts, two verses below that, I believe it says, God knows you have need of these things. We all have need of the things, don't we? Food, raiment, you know, roof over our head, those kind of things. We have need of those things. That's part, that's not all. But that's part of the abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring you. How come that you might have life and have it more abundantly? I know he's speaking of a spiritual life there mostly. But you don't think he's speaking of our physical needs as well? If he's not, why do we pray to him? Why do we ask him? Take care of this problem. My sister's sick. Can you fix her? Why do we pray for things like that if that's not part of what he's telling us? I believe it is. I believe it is. Let me go to First John. Then I'll close. Two. First John two. He's going to tell us about the world. Two and fifteen. 1 John 2 and 15. And, and by the way, if you read through the whole book of the little book of John here, you'll find this is a recurring theme all the way through this book. Love not the world. Isn't that what we kind of started with? Be not conformed to this world. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. What well, he said here, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. That's, that's pretty tough, isn't it? If any man loved the world, the love of the Father's not in him. I'd like to keep my hand real low <laughs> because I've been there. I've done that. I've loved the world. I was loving the world when I was on the soccer field. I have loved the world. I'm learning not to love the world. I'm learning better all the time not to love the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world.
All those things are not of the Father. They're of the world. Every one of them. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. There's lots of scriptures we could go to to close this out. But there's one real familiar one in the first chapter of Philippians 4, verse 7, I think. I'm not going to go over there. Because you'll know, you'll know it when I start to quote it. The peace of God that passeth all understanding. Now watch the second part of that. Remember I said the heart and the mind are linked together. I'm not going to try to say that word again. It's just too long for me. <laughs> Remember I said the heart and the mind are linked together. I'll just say it that way. That scripture teaches that. The peace of God which passeth all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus the Lord. And that's what God will do for us when we are not conformed to the world, when we're transformed by the renewing of our minds and try to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That would probably be the only thing I ever got perfect in my life. Oh, I made one perfect decision one time. I married, married my wife. That was probably a perfect decision. And then I married the church. That was a perfect decision. <clears throat> but I've made lots of ones that don't go along with that. I've made lots of decisions that don't fit in this book. But I don't want to be conformed to the world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind so I can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I thank you very much for your kind attention. If you received anything from my remarks, you give God the honor.